0: And welcome to Your Money. I'm Susie Jones, back after a hiatus here on. And I want to start out by reminding you: if you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is 1-8886 Advice. You can always email your questions to your money at wealth enhancement.com, or you can call our text line here, 651 If you have any questions. Throughout the next hour here on Your Money, now here is Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and Founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor, Bruce Helmer. Hello, you two. Good morning, Susie. Welcome back. Thank you. It's been quite a road, but I'm happy to be here.
1: Uh, Hi, Peg, and hi, Susie. Welcome back. Uh, You sound great. You were missed. And we're so happy that you're back with us. And uh, it's just uh, you sound you sound awesome. Hey, hey, we're gonna jump into this right away. So we kind of changed what we were planning to do this uh, this week. We kind of changed in the middle of the week, as you know, everybody listening right now knows Russia, as as has been actually long anticipated, finally did invade the Ukraine and it did have a, uh, you know, uh, an an impact on the markets. That's the immediate kind of short-term thing, but the broader thing that that we should talk about, and this is just a really good reminder with what's going on in the world right now, market volatility isn't unique or unusual. It's something that, that always happens to varying degrees, sometimes worse than others, and there's sometimes there's reasons why that are logical. Sometimes you can't see a logical reason why sometimes markets, you know, act, at least in our minds, illogical or don't do what we think they're going to do. And if they were totally predictable, it'd be easy to invest money and make a lot of money all the time. And as everybody knows, it's not. It's, uh, it, 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 You have to be patient and diligent and uh, and have some thick skin. So we thought, Peg, today we would talk about The idea of market volatility, that it's always going to be there in varying degrees. And how do we manage this emotionally? How do we manage this in terms of making decisions? Um, How do we be smart about our money and uh, not be terrified when something like uh, what is going on right now is going on right now?
2: Yeah, Bruce, I, you know, this isn't our first rodeo. You and I have been doing this for decades So there's multiple times that we've gone into uh, a market that's more volatile. What I'm witnessing is um, it's the same clients call me every market downturn. So it's, you know, you're going to have a percentage of clients that have that extraordinary fear when the headlines are like they are, especially this week. And and, And another thing, Bruce, is, when it's outside of our control, anything that's outside of our control creates this anxiety. Now, because we do this show every week and because we work with these clients, we educate them a lot about managing market voluntil- volatility. There's this one woman, um, Edwina Lee, in our office that uh, often reminds her clients, you don't need to call me to tell me what the stock market is doing. I know that uh, you should <laughs> you, you should call me if there's a life changing event and you want to change your asset allocation because of it. So that's just a little bit of background of, um, you know, the reactions of clients this week. And I think I have a total of three people that have reached out so far. But when you talk about the markets, you know, I, I, I don't want to seem like I'm not sensitive Because it is your money, and money is something that can provide a lot of great things, maybe not so much for yourself, but maybe you're looking at that legacy and wanting to build it for your kids and your grandchildren, and and I see that as all, you know, emotional things that you're, you're thinking about. But a lot of times the markets, you said this, Bruce, when you started the intro this morning, is... Sometimes it's not even real, right? There isn't any underlying real fundamentals that's saying, hey, we should go down, like um, companies actually are still doing well themselves. So it isn't like they're cutting dividends or they're, you know, dramatically changing what they're doing. Um, But the markets were already volatile in January because of inflation, And the threat of this war that we're seeing going on right now and central bank policies, you know, when are interest rates going up and how much are they going to go up? And then there's always somebody talking about a new coronavirus out there, which still, um, you know, scares some of us as to what type would that be and how would it be compared to the ones that we already went through? So there's always these underlying issues out there. Now we happen to have four of them right now that make people feel a little bit more um, stressed than they have in the past. So, Bruce, what I would say is, you know, um, if indeed you feel the the sense of um, you know scared, like you're scared, and the and and maybe you were over allocated in the stock market because what's happened is it was so good for so long that people kind of chased it and started to put more and more money into it. And many people bought dividend-paying stocks just to get the dividend because they couldn't get that in the bank, Bruce.
1: Right. Well, o- and ORPEG, maybe they didn't uh, chase it, but let's just add- Right. Well, o- and ORPEG, maybe they didn't uh, chase it, but. Let's just as an example, let's say somebody had a portfolio that was 75% in stocks and 25% in bonds or or other asset classes other than stocks. But because stocks were doing so well and and paying dividends that got reinvested, maybe now if they didn't look at their portfolio recently, it's 80% stock and 20% other stuff just because stocks have done so much better. This gets back to what we talk about from time to time, the idea of rebalancing. If if the ideal portfolio for your circumstances is 75-25 and now you're 80-20, you might want to go rebalance it back to 75-25. Or in other words, sell some stocks high, lock in those gains, take the winnings off the table, and go 5% back into these other asset classes that are either low or haven't gained as much. Buy low and sell high, buy low and sell high. everybody intellectually knows that 's what they should do, but they don 't always do it, and it oftentimes feels contrary to what they want to do based on based on emotions so things like that are reasons to to change your your market allocation or sell stocks but a, but a short term retraction is not a good reason, and i i 'm like you um I, it's you know the usual suspects when there's market retractions. Uh, it's usually pretty much the same people that are nervous, and that does not bother me and I'm not don't want to be insensitive either because it's the way it's just the way they are wired. Intellectually, they understand our approach and our advice and why we say what we say but but it's a hard thing emotionally for them, and I get that, and it's the way that they're wired, and you can't change that. So we have to coach them through it a little bit. And, Peg, I've been telling everybody, because I know you mentioned the market's been so good for so long, because of that, a lot of people are are just convinced there's a big retraction just around the corner. And, of course, that's always a possibility, but to the people that have been asking me that, my answer has been, I don't think so. I I mean, I don't think it's this year. And when we looked at various things that we look at to try to anticipate what markets will do. And again, nobody, nobody knows what will happen in the short term. We can take an educated guess on what we think will happen based on certain economic variables that we look at, but we don't know for sure. But I've been telling people that ask me, look, I know that we're off to a bad start this year, but I still think the year will be positive, not as positive as last year, but I still think we'll be net positive before the end of the year. But I was giving that answer before uh, the, the invasion this week. But I also always told people that answer can change based on some event that, that hasn't happened yet. And this would be one or another variant of the, of the pandemic of the coronavirus might be one or something that North Korea does or Iran does or China does. There are world events that can have short-term impact on the market. But at the end of the day, long-term, markets are still going to come back where they should economically. Um, And also, one other really quick thing, I don't mean to over-talk, but to your point about markets sometimes being, uh, often being illogical and a company's actually doing well, yet it suffers, you know, loss in share price, the great example of that to me still goes back to 2008. And everybody remembers 2008 and the big market retraction or the Great Depression or the Great Recession, whatever you want, to, whatever title you want to give it. And what, what happened to some stocks was logical. If you were a Wall Street firm and you had credit default swaps and those bad mortgages and some of those things on your books, it was logical that your company's value would go down and your stock share price would go down. But Amalgamated Widgets of Omaha, Nebraska, just had the greatest year they've ever had in selling their widgets. Company morale has never been higher. Profits have never been higher. Amalgamated Widgets is doing great, yet in 2008 they saw their stock price go down because when people called their broker, they didn't say sell you know, the bad stocks on Wall Street that were in these bad mortgages but keep Amalgamated Witches of Omaha, Nebraska. They called their broker and they said, get me out of the market. It was a fierce sell-off that was illogical because a lot of the companies that they had in their portfolio were not impacted by the by the shenanigans on Wall Street. So again, I'm a pragmatic, logical person and everything that I look at has to make sense to me. And that's what can be so confounding and, and infuriating about investing is that sometimes things just aren't logical they don't make sense.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree with you, Bruce. And I also believe the fact that we've gone through some of these downturns and in, in recent history that a lot of clients who are listening today know that that can happen, that it can go way down and then it comes back up. And what we know as well, and the people listening may not, is the people who got out at the wrong time, never, ever really recovered because they couldn't figure out a time to get back in. And so, you know, they, they, they knew they did a bad thing, but then they kept waiting and waiting for it to possibly crash and go down again so that it make, made more sense for what they had done as an immediate reaction to the market. So not that I want to go through these often to remind people, but I think the best thing uh, to do is I know when we sent out our year-end reports, Bruce, and I called my clients for, for a review, and some of them said, I don't need to see you. Everything is so good. Thank you. You know, and And we still insist that we talk to them about other comprehensive planning things. But I get it. Everybody was so happy at the end of the year, And often in my reviews, I tell people when I'm showing them their five-year history of how they've done in this great market, um, I warn them, you know, the value as of December 31st, 2021 is probably not the value, you know, that's going to sit there solid. It is going to go up and down. You know, we see more volatility and they all say they understand But yet there's a few people that uh, do call. So it is scary. Well, who wants to lose 10 percent, 20 percent? But then when I point out that if you have a loss of 10 percent, you know, we're only going back to possibly October of 2021, believe it or not. So in October of 2021, you were happy. You thought this is the greatest thing. But now that you had another 10 percent on top of that, you didn't really want to lose that. So it's kind of a mind game, if you will, um, but we just walk through clients uh, with that. But now, the the important part I want to say is, how much risk are you taking in your portfolio? Hopefully, if somebody asked you that question, you could rattle off, oh, I'm 40% in stocks, I'm 60% in bonds, or I'm 75% in stocks, I've got 5% inflation-focused type of things, and I've got some bonds. Um, so uh, if you're not familiar with how much risk you're taking in your portfolio, then I would either try to figure that out because no wonder you're, uh, have aches about what's going on, or you, you know, go seek out a financial advisor or a planner that can help you because what's happened and we talked about it a little bit, Bruce is, You know, if we go way back to 1926, and I personally don't like to go that far back, but there is measurements of these markets since then. The S&P 500, we've ranged from negative 38% to positive 58%. What a swing. No wonder, you know, people who don't like roller coasters maybe aren't in the market as um, heavily as some people that don't mind them. And then also in the bond market, you know, since 1976, we've been negative 7% as a low and positive 7% as a high. So the markets have always been volatile, but what we can tell you, we can't predict the future. But in the career that I've had and probably the career that you've had, Bruce, is our clients are happy. And we, we get rewarded by them smiling every time they come in there for their reviews because they thank us. Thank you for m- getting me to be disciplined. Thank you for making me understand what this money is really for. And that way, when the markets are volatile, I don't make some emotional reaction uh, that's going to actually hurt myself and my whole family long term. Uh, that's why they thank us, Bruce.
1: Yeah, and uh, we've got a couple minutes before we take a break. In the second half of the show, we hopefully will let listeners steer us where they want to go. But, Peg, I want to pick up the, the, the thread that you just kind of started. So, we've been sitting here talking about the market volatility. And, and, and by the way, not to be insensitive about, you know, we're talking about people's financial situation, their 401ks, their retirement plans, that's important stuff. But let's not lose sight of the bigger picture here. People are dying. People in Ukraine are dying, this unprovoked mm-hmm. attack. There's a lot of Americans that have ties back to relatives or friends in Ukraine. This is a tragic, tragic thing that's going on. And, and yes, it can be Im- impactful to all of us as investors. So it is important. But beyond just this incident, we talked about that volatility is normal We had volatility already because of inflation and or because of the pandemic, and we talked about people being fearful and we're not insensitive to that. So we've we've talked about that a lot, where we're at and why, and, and that all makes sense. But what are maybe some key takeaways for people in terms of how do they deal with all this? If they don't have a financial advisor or if they want input working with their financial advisor, what do you think are some key things they should know or do or actions they should take or not take based on what's going on?
2: Yeah, there's a couple things. I think if you feel like you're, you're not um, informed about and educated about what you have already, so there is a lot of people out there, they come into us for um, free introduction meeting a lot of times and say, please give me your opinion, please give me the roundtable's opinion, because they have done well. People have invested and and, you know, have a lot of money at this point in their life, but they don't understand it. They don't understand what's the real risk that I'm taking. And once you do, I feel like it's, easier, a little bit easier at least, to not have those emotions when the markets are um, this volatile. The second thing is you kind of have to ignore the headlines. So do you understand that the media is sensationalized? You know, they want us to just read the headlines and not the whole story. And then you start to form this picture in your mind about what's really happening And maybe, you know, it isn't quite as bad as you thought it was going to be. And then um, if you're interested, you could do some research and see, you know, America's best companies have always gotten through any type of event uh, that's happened worldwide. How long it took them to get through that event varies, you know, and so, but what we do know is if you have time, then you can actually uh, ride this out. And that's a big point. You know, how much risk are you taking? You know, um, what rate of return are you getting and anticipating? And then, do you believe that you can do it on your own? If you're, if you're even feeling like you should get out, then I, and you don't have any help, I think Bruce, you should contact somebody uh, to be your partner and try to make you do the right things. You know, while it's volatile.
1: And and I'll just add. Uh, uh... Susie, before I turn it back to you um, to pick up on Peg's point. Peg, we got through almost the first whole first half of the show without really talking about, until just now you did it, talking about time horizon. And we talk about it all the time on this show to the point that maybe some people get tired of it. But it's, it's, it's important. Your money that's exposed to stocks is or should be long-term money that you don't need anytime soon. So like you said earlier, if there's a a 10% retraction, you didn't really lose money. You just lost some of what you've earned over the last few years when markets have been really good. You're still net up. And if you don't need it anytime soon, don't worry about it, because history tells us it's probably going to recover again. But if it's money that you might need in the not-too-distant future, it shouldn't be exposed to stocks anyway. So the bottom line is we should not get too nervous When things like this happen, we know they're going to happen. We just have to ride it out. And, Susie, I know we're about due for a break. When we come back, we'll give you any last thoughts on this, but we'll let listeners take us where they want to go.
0: All right. And on that note, we'll tell you that text line and the line to call is 651-461-9226. It's 651-461-9226. Welcome back. It is your money. And if you have a question for Bruce or Peg, don't forget you can always call twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, and ask it of a person at 1-888-6 advice. You can also email your questions to your money at dot Also, you can text or call us at six five one. 4619226. Once again, here is Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and Founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Peg, you had a comment before we get to some callers, right?
2: Yes. Thank you, Susie. I had mentioned uh, Time Horizon, and I didn't talk about how would that be impactful You know, with the volatilities of the market, the volatility of the market. And it's real impactful, meaning... Um, A lot of times people like to invest based on their personal age. So if you're 45, that would be maybe more growth exposure. But if you're 75 or 80 years old, you have less stock exposure. Well, that actually kind of gets thrown out the window once we have a conversation with the client. What do you want this money to do for you? What do you want this money to do for your extended family? Then we start to go through their uh, goals and then what's important to them. And um, then we back into what percentage do they want to go into growth? Because then it's earmarked maybe for their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. That could uh, alter the risk that they're taking. So I wanted to clarify that. And then secondly, uh, some of the listeners are going, oh my God, she's going to talk about diversification. Well, it's true. You know, diversification is key. You are not going to be able to find, uh, you know, holdings that are all going to go up at the same time and continue to go up for years and years. So a defense of that is to hold all sorts of, uh, you know, assets in your portfolio and you're hopeful that when some of them are up, the others are down. Now, we're, well, we would be most hopeful if all of them just went up. But I think most people, Bruce, they understand diversification, yet they don't want to implement it because there's this part of us that are, well, quite frankly, greedy. We want to just make as much as we can. Um, and, and and those are the people that you know are so hopeful that they can make more that they tend to do the wrong things, you know, at the wrong times. Now, lastly, I would tell you that every client who has called me now, I'm saying, what a buying opportunity. You know, we rebalance, we put a little bit of money in now. Um, You know, now this week, you know, we went down, 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 and then Friday we're back up. So, uh, So if you have a little bit of money, either keep investing, or like Bruce said, rebalance, or if you have, you know, some money that you're supposed to put in anyway, and you're still not confident, I've got clients on dollar cost averaging. Put a little bit of money in every single month, and you're going to hit some highs, you're going to hit some lows, and probably be happy over this year, you know, how that turns out because of the volatility. Bruce?
1: No, nothing to add. That's all good stuff. I'll just, you know, I'll quickly say, and you know I do this it seems like I'm contradicting what we tell clients. I hope I'm actually not, because I don't believe in timing the market. I believe you got to have a plan and stick to it long term. That said, I always do have some cash sitting around not doing anything. And when markets take a dip like this, I will usually, you know, put a little bit in um, when it's low. And again, someone might say, well, what if it goes lower? Well, yeah, it might. I know that. But I know it's lower now than what it was two weeks ago. So it seems like a good buying opportunity. So I'm not timing the market, per se, going in and out, but when I've got a little extra cash and there's a market retraction, I'll probably put a little bit into the market, just you know, kind of standard operating procedure for me, not the right strategy for everyone, of course, obviously. So, all right, Susie, I know we've got calls and texts. Let's let the listeners uh, take us home.
0: All right, very good. We'll go to Ralph, who has been waiting to ask you a question. Ralph is calling from New Ulm. Go ahead, you're on with Bruce and Peg.
3: I've watched the market. I'm not a day trader for maybe 44 years, and it's kind of strange. I think for the the past 35 years, we never had uh, movements of $100. You know, what I mean, it was it was in the market. Now, during any week, it goes up and down and up and down, 300 up, 200 down. And I'm not talking about the, the Ukraine thing. I'm talking about just just weekly movements in the market that never happened. But what's happening now is if someone uh, if some uh, Fake news or something calls in and says there's going to be an earthquake coming in somewhere. Well, the market just takes a dive, and what happens is the the big the big investors, I mean the commercial people, are creating these things, and they put they can put a hundred billion dollars into the market, and it goes up like uh, five points, and then they then they they call and says, oh that's that's not right, it, it's everything is safe now. So then they sell short, and and. Get the money on the way down for five points. So they're the ones that are creating these things, isn't some money?
0: All right, Uh, thank you so much for that. Because I do think Ralph has a point that it does seem like the market can be fickle. Can you kind of maybe peg respond to that? Sure. Um,
2: So I I would agree with Ralph. I think I've been in this a long time, and there is, you know, there's more. I would say day to day bigger trades than there was when I first uh, started in this business. And I, a lot of it is technology, right? We're able to do these trades in such a volume. And um, what, what I do see is, you know, the institutions actually help the markets uh, in the long term. And uh, often my husband usually brings up, why can't there be a market for us as individuals and a separate market for those institutions, because I really don't want it, My money like mingled with their money. Mm. So, but there is a good point in that they actually help prop up our um, stock market. We do benefit on the backside. What I would say Ralph is that, you know um, it isn't something that we encourage our clients to do, but if you are, let's say 70% in stocks, and you don't go in and make trades and do a daily trading thing, you have been rewarded in the long term.
0: Peg, another caller asked the question. He had to actually go to church, so he just wanted to get this out on his way to church. He can listen. Um, How does 2022 compare to 2008? Are there any comparisons to that uh, crash and sort of the volatility of what we're seeing today? Uh, I don't see them. Um, I would say
2: 2008 was a completely different uh, time frame in that um, you know the markets were totally unsettled because of kind of our banking system and what was happening with mortgages and insurance companies and and I see 2008 as being much more dramatic than what we are dealing with today. yeah Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. Yeah,
1: um, ladies. I yeah, think I, I did want to jump in. I, I want to go back to Ralph. Also, um, what Ralph is really talking about, this market manipulation, it does exist. There's no question about it, and it is not a level playing field. Uh, us ordinary Americans investing in our 401ks or our IRAs and our retirement plans do not have the same advantages of the multi-billion dollar Wall Street firms and the super wealthy. They do have certain advantages. They do have certain ways of manipulating the market. But Peg said really the most important thing in this discussion, I think, is that we all boats rise if you're in the market. So maybe they have an advantage that we don't have, and maybe they get an extra 5 percent here or there because of that ability that they have with all those resources and all those assets. And as Peg said, the technological ability to trade thousands or hundreds of thousands of shares instantaneously that didn't exist before. Peg, I still watch TV shows that aren't that old, and you still see the old ticker tape where somebody's looking at the tape coming out of the machine to see market prices. Well, now you can look on a smartphone where the market's at, and you can make trades of hundreds or thousands of shares with the push of a button on a smartphone. You don't even have to be on Wall Street. So it's technological, and it's and it's big money. And yes, there is market manipulation. But at the end of the day, let's not forget what we're investing in. We're hopefully investing in smart, innovative, well-run companies that go up in value over time. Some people might do better than us for a variety of different reasons. But if at the end of the day we get a good long-term return, which historically stocks have proven to provide, we're happy. Is it more volatile than it's ever been? Absolutely. And we've been telling people that um, one-on-one client meetings and on this radio show for a couple of years. In fact, especially since the pandemic hit, we said volatility is here to stay. It's not going away. And, yes, what happened this week in um, and, and the, and the big Uh, movement just in this last week as an example, but we've been talking about it long before this. And then going back to the 2008, Susie, your question, or someone's question that had to go to church, I agree with Peg. I don't see this remotely like 2008. 2008, believe it or not, was actually somewhat predictable. There were people in our investment management team talking about this house of cards of these bad mortgages and these investment products built on these bad mortgages, they were talking about it long before the collapse. Now, nobody, including Wealth Enhancement Group, knew exactly when it would occur, how low it would go, how long it would last, but it didn't really surprise us. We knew that there was a precarious situation. We don't see anything like that now. Now, again, In the short term, no one can say for sure what's going to happen in markets. And again, other world events could change our answer next week than the answer we give this week. But at the end of the day, there's still, in my mind, more things to be optimistic about than pessimistic about. And I'll stand by my prediction that I think 2022, the market will end positive. Not as good as last year. Last year was really, really good. But I, but I think it'll end positive. And again, just to remind listeners, you know, 2008 scared everybody, and I understand why. In in the fall of 2007, the Dow was trading at a little over 14,000. By March of uh, 2009, it was trading at a little over 6,500. Well, folks, today the Dow, even with the week we just had, is over 34,000. It's 20,000 points higher than where it was in 2007 before that great recession or before that big retraction. So long-term, you did fine, even living through that market retraction of 2008. So again, all these things are further evidence of what Peg and I talked about in the first half of the show, that if you diversify and if you, your long-term money's in stocks and your short-term money is not, this retraction, this volatility is not going to hurt you.
0: All right, 651-461-9226. If you have a question for Bruce or Peg on your money, 651-461-9226. You can call and ask that question directly on the air, or you can text a question. We've gotten a number of texts, and we'll start with this one. Pretty basic. Is reinvesting dividends the best way to go? Either one. I don't know who wants to take that one. Go ahead, Peg. Okay,
2: so reinvested dividends, it, it, once again, it's going to go back to um, whether you're taking income or you're not taking income. So what a lot of people don't understand is when they quote the S&P 500 performance, it's assuming that all dividends are reinvested. Um, if you uh, sit down with us and you say, okay, I need 50000 after taxes, to supplement my pension and my social security, you know, and where would, where should I take it from? We might suggest turning on the dividends on your, you know, U.S. large company stocks uh, and take that as something that um, you live on versus selling out of something else. So there isn't a um, one-size-fits-all when it comes to dividends, but if you're a growth person – I think it's a good idea to reinvest dividends um, on an ongoing basis. Bruce?
1: Um, yeah, again, that that question, I agree with you, Peg. It's going to vary from individual to individual. Most people do reinvest the dividends because they're, they're not taking income off their portfolio. And if you were going to take income off your portfolio, we would recommend a different asset allocation than it was if it was for growth only. Um, so yeah reinvesting dividends is, is is pretty typical but but you don't have to and your circumstances may be such that you want to take those dividends in cash and, and have an income stream or you know maybe even part of your retirement income um, when you're not working anymore maybe that's part of your paycheck so it really varies from situation to situation um, but I would say the vast majority do reinvest the dividends because that's kind of the, the default if you don't take any proactive action, that's what's going to happen.
0: We have a couple of texts asking kind of the same general question, um, wondering if they're considering, they are considering getting a financial advisor, but they're wondering do they even have enough to make a difference or have a financial advisor? I know, Is there a benchmark? Uh, say you have a 401K. Is there a benchmark that someone should consider before – in. You know, hiring a financial advisor, like two hundred fifty thousand, or you know what I mean, something like that. Pig? Uh Bruce, <laughs> <laughs> Volley. back and okay. forth, back and uh, forth. No,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, no, is so it five hundred thousand? Gentlemen,
1: defer to the lady. I'll, I'll go first. Yeah. So, Susie, at, 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 in the world of personal finance, many companies or many individual advisors do have what they call a minimum that they, they don't want to see a potential client unless they have X, What fill in the blank whatever X is, $100,000, 250000 500000 whatever it is. Now, some people listening to that might say, well, that's horrible, that's greedy, that's selfish. But it's really not. You have to look at the business model. And if your business model and your overhead to, to properly take care of your clients and have happy clients, if it doesn't make economic sense, to take in clients that can't generate enough revenue, then you're losing money to take that client on. And like I, like I tell everybody on every business I'm involved in, we don't exist for the sole purpose of making money, but if we don't make money, we don't exist. Wealth Enhancement Group has to be profitable or we can't help anybody. Now, as a firm, we, I, I will always say, we will help anyone that wants our help I will take any introductory meeting, but it might just be one meeting. It might be after that meeting I might say, Here's some things you can do and should do that should help, but otherwise there's there's no basis for an ongoing relationship at this point in time, but that may change, you know, and, and if your situation changes and you and you check these things off that I recommended that you do and you get those done, you pay off the credit card debt or whatever whatever it is and you want to come back and see us again, you can do that. So I would say our firm will help anybody that wants help, but a lot of people in our industry do have minimum account sizes, and it doesn't make them bad or selfish. It just, it's it's the economic reality of the business model that they have to work within. Peg, do you want to add to that? Did I miss something, or did I say yeah, something the
2: stupid? O- the, the only thing I would add is, you know, with each client – there's what's kind of co- uh what we call kind of a business cost like you have to do the processing you have to hire these people to do all these things so what ends up happening is um the smaller clients will probably have a higher percentage fee on their assets which maybe seems backwards right that that the people who have a lot of money sh- should pay more than the people who have less money. But the way that we bill is a percentage of um, advisory on the assets that we manage, although that includes our comprehensive planning. So what I find, Bruce, is that if people are really interested in wanting help, because what I've done in the years that I've been there and interviewed people, I can really tell whether they're Whether they're doing it for themselves, like they made the decision, or it's their parents trying to get them to make their decision, Um, until they make the decision themselves that they want to get help uh, in planning for the future, then um, those are the ones that I can't take on because, you know, you have to be all in when you hire somebody like us.
0: Yeah, you have to be willing to follow directions. So if you right. set up a game plan and they go out and buy a brand new car and blow the whole plan out of the water, it's not going to help them very much. Right. right? Yeah. It's interesting, though, because I talk about myself way too much in this life, but I'm 59 and I'm going to be 59 and a half, the magical number. I think it's, it's in my mind it's the magical number that I can start to look at taking some money out of different buckets of money pockets of money. And it, you know, it can be, I wonder, it's a careful time. You don't want, I don't want to blow it kind of thing. I want to know which bucket to take it out of that isn't going to hurt me or how's it, you know what I mean? You how to make, that's what retirement is. You You have all this money or hopefully you do. And then you have to carefully get it out without hurting yourself financially. Peg, is that about right? Um, Yes, I think, you know,
2: uh, I would say that, you know, most of the people that we work with, the only reason that they're starting an income stream at 59 and a half is uh, because they retired early. Um, They also have a good pension and uh, something that they were able to start in their 50s. And a lot of people are doing Roth conversions at 59 and a half. Um, that has nothing to do with the fact that your ability to do them is at any time. But at 59 and a half, if indeed they did retire by then, then we're looking at taking that IRA that's fully taxable and doing a Roth conversion because you're super young, and to be able to compound that Roth, you know, tax free for decades of time. Uh, it just creates more of an opportunity than being loaded down with this IRAs that have such a big IOU to the IRS.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, <clears> thanks. And I'll be in now that I'm better. I'll be in for my checkup, my financial checkup with Bruce and Peg. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Susie have a great week and if, remember if you have a financial question for Bruce or Peg, you can call this number 24 hours a day 7 days a week 18886advice